What's going on, family? Inflation has dominated the news for the past couple of years. But what happens if the truly terrifying conclusion of all of this is deflation? I'm Sean, and today I'm joined by my friend and guest, Josh Thompson. He has a YouTube channel. You can find him at uh, Joshua Thompson on YouTube. I do it easier when I first discovered him by typing in Joshua Thompson inflation or deflation. On his channel, he'll, he speaks about the monetary mechanics of the Federal Reserve System, how money works. He also does uh, some brief technical analysis and kind of lets you see where the markets are going, allows you to make your own opinion. But today, I brought Josh on because he is somebody who takes the opposite side when people speak about inflation, and he actually believes that deflation is our biggest problem and it's part of a global disease that's going to bring the world to a halt. So, Josh, thank you for being with me today. How's your How's your day going? Hey, what's going on, man? It's uh, It's good to be here. It's uh, Saturday, so not a whole lot going on, really. But uh, I'm excited to be here today and talk about these topics. Awesome. So, Josh, I was kind of hoping first, if you could just kind of explain to the audience what is deflation, and then after you kind of speak about what is deflation, could you kind of explain how is money actually created uh, in society? Right. Okay. So deflation um, and, the, and the easiest definition that we can make, right, is when the amount of overall currency units in existence goes down, right? So if there's less available, supply and demand starts to work. Uh, prices of everything has to go down because there isn't enough money to support previous valuations. And you could say the inverse for inflation. Getting to how money is actually created, uh, it's just by people going into a bank and getting a loan. And what that means is all currency in existence is tied to debt. And that debt comes with an interest rate. So if I walk into a bank and I say I need $1,000, they just give it to me out of thin air. Now that part of the money printing does happen. There's some balance sheet stuff that's swapped around and all that, but money is essentially just debt. That's all it is. Right? So if the amount of people walking into a bank goes down, loans go down, then you get, that's how you can get deflationary pressures. Okay. So when you're saying, so this is that general decrease in prices. You're saying money's created, like we'll use myself as an example. So if I go into a bank and let's say I have an idea for a business, obviously I would, and I don't have the money, I don't have the personal capital to start this. We're going to say I'm starting an ice cream business. So I go to the bank, um, the bank approves me. They say, you know, Sean, you seem trustworthy. You seem credit worthy. You're saying then in that case, let's say it was for $10,000. That they that ten thousand dollars wasn't there before, so they punch it into the system, right? All of a sudden, it shows up into my account. That's how the money is created, correct? Now yeah. on the okay, so now on the opposite side of that spectrum, when we're speaking about deflation, in this situation, if I was to go into the bank, the bank is more likely to say that we're not going to allow me to get get this loan. So there's no money creation in there. There's no new development of money. And I've heard you say before that we exist in a system, this debt-based monetary system, where we always need this expansion of debt. Could you kind of explain why do we need this consistent expansion of debt? Why, is, why does the world need this? And what happens if the debt isn't ex 
expanding. What are some ramifications of that for those in the states? And also, could you kind of explain, like, how does that bleed into the global world as well? Okay, so I'm going to start with the analogy that you gave of walking into the bank and getting a $10,000 loan. And then I'll briefly talk about something you said about deflation. So first of all, when you walk into the bank and you get a $10,000 loan, the bank gives you a $10,000 loan. They print $10,000 and then they say you owe them, we'll just say 1% interest. They didn't print the 1% interest. They only printed $10,000. Now take into consideration that everyone else in the economy, all of their money is deriving from the same place. It's being created the exact same way at a bank, but they only print that principal initial $10,000. They don't print the money that's needed to pay the loan back. So if you're not getting an expansion of the money fast enough to pay the debt back, if the population is not growing, because remember, the population is what's supporting these loans coming into existence in the first place. If that population growth decelerates, all of a sudden you're left in a, a position where you can't have growth anymore because you, you have all these old debts of interest that needs to be paid, but the interest was never printed. So you're running out of currency units while the debt's increasing. And that's essentially where we are now. But I do want to touch one thing on deflation where you said you mentioned mentioned prices. I really want to get this idea in people's head about prices. They're not connected things. So deflation is a monetary uh, happening, right? That, that's monetary in and of itself. And the same thing with inflation. Just because you have inflation doesn't mean you're going to have high prices. Now, if you have high prices, it could be indicative of inflation. Or if you have low prices, it could be indicative of deflation. But it doesn't mean that that's what's happening. So I always give the example. Everyone knows the Great Depression. Everyone knows it was deflation. But, you know, if, a, if an oil refinery blew up in your town during the Great Depression, the price of gas is going to go up. Now, that doesn't mean that you now have inflation. No, you still have monetary deflation but you do have price increases. So I really want to get people to like deconstruct their idea that just because prices are going up, it means that you're having inflation or deflation because those things are not correlated. Right. And, and I understand kind of what you're saying there because in, in one aspect, you can have price rises, right? So things could be getting more expensive in your example where we'll, we'll put gasoline, but at the same time, the, the, the money supply the amount of dollars or the currency could be contracting at the same time, correct? That's kind of the divergence that you're speaking about. Yeah. yeah. And, and okay. So let's try to, I know everybody wants to say, you know, what's happening now and stuff. Okay. So I've explained that the way money gets created is you walk into a bank and get a loan. They print the principal and they don't print the interest. So in this system, the debt is always increasing faster than the money needed to pay the debt off. So what that means is you have a deficit, you have less money and more debt. And the more you increase that deficit, the more likelihood that you're going to go into a, a deflationary bust. The only thing stopping that from happening is if you can make the population grow at a fast enough rate to get economic activity out of the money that you already have. And we, we judge this by what the velocity of money is. So the velocity of money is essentially uh, money gets created out of bank. It goes out into the economy and then it circulates. It just stays there going back and forth between people and businesses and businesses and people. And then it ends up back in a bank and pays off a loan. Now, the, the, the uh, really important part here is when money pays off a loan, that money goes away. The books are now balanced. The money that was created is now uncreated. So you have a, a point of origin and you have a point of destruction.
Now, everything that happens in the middle is how you gauge economic activity. So if I have $10, I tip someone at a bar, they tip a cab driver. That That's essentially $20, but it's still the original $10. And that's what velocity is. So if your velocity drops, then now we have a situation where the money's being created at, at the point of origin. It gets barely any economic play in the economy. And then it goes right back to a bank and gets destroyed. And that's that's the moment that we're seeing right now, because if you take public debt, which is about thirty one trillion dollars, you can go to debt clock. Uh, I think it's debt clock something dot org. Just Google it debt clock. And then you have public debt, which is about sixteen trillion dollars. And you can find that at the New York Federal Reserve's website. Add those two together and then subtract the total money supply in the United States. And you can find that as the M2 money supply. Uh, on the on the Federal Reserve's website. And what happens is you get left with a deficit of about $25, $26 trillion. So we don't have enough money in the economy and the, the M2 velocity of money has dropped. So when you apply all of that together, we actually have a deflationary scenario where there's there's twice as much debt in our economy as there is money. So we don't have enough money to pay off the debt and the M2 velocity of money is dropping so the money is not actually doing what it's supposed to in the economy. So it leaves us where we are today with future growth, growth expectations that are in the tank. It's horrible. Right. So I was I was reading uh, some of Urban Fisher's work and in his um, uh, booms and depressions, he speaks about this idea of deflation as like a, a global disease where it can make it can make everybody sick. Okay, so we, we take we take this example as a dollar, and currently what we're seeing with the dollar is it's strengthening, which is counterintuitive to those who are in the United States because they see that the CPI is rising, they're paying more money for, for most of their goods, but in comparison, the dollar in comparison to other countries' currencies is rising. Could you kind of explain to us when why when the dollar is rising? And interest rates are rising because the Federal Reserve or for what the Federal Reserve says that they're doing, you know, maybe they are influencing interest rates or maybe that's a psychological aspect. Could you explain how how does deflation involve a stronger currency? Like when a when a currency gets stronger, does does that decrease the availability of the dollars for other countries? And why do they need dollars so much? It, okay. All right. So there's a lot of variables that go into that. So it doesn't necessarily mean that there is uh, fewer dollars available. That could be the case, but in general, it just means there's more demand. So there's more people around the world that want dollars for whatever the reason is. The reason doesn't matter. So if more people want it, obviously its value goes up. And intrinsically, since the dollar is the world's reserve currency, that's going to make all the other currencies go down in, in perspective. So uh, we're in a situation where obviously there's conflicts going on. Uh, the uh, um, not my, I keep wanting to say millennial, not millennial, but the baby boomers and starting to bleed over into the Gen Xers. They're starting to retire. So there's less people to work. So labor is more expensive. Well, we can't get certain goods because of certain lockdowns in some countries. Uh, so the, the price of all that stuff goes up. It's it's almost like this perfectly well-oiled machine of globalization over the past, call it 40, 50 years. It's starting to break down 
and people can't source the materials and they can't get the labor they need. So the prices of those domestically and everywhere else around the world, uh, it goes up. It goes up at the same time. Since the prices are going up in other countries, they need more dollars. More people are flooding to the dollar. They're leaving their currency. So you're seeing inflation in other places around the world that, you know, like the euro, for example, or if China ever released the renminbi or the yuan to it, it would definitely happen there. Um, and everyone, it's, it's just this, this global phenomenon of everyone putting their trust and the dollar to hold their wealth. At the same time, you're seeing supplies uh, coming down, but the demand hasn't dropped, right? So if you get a drop in supplies, demand stays the same or goes up, prices go up at the exact same time, the value of the dollar goes up. So it's going to be, it's going to be harder to get dollars in the future, but the prices of things could remain elevated. And the Fed is now coming out saying, well, we're raising interest rates. I don't want to get into the discussion now if the Fed actually influences, you know, that's probably for another discussion. But the Fed's getting to the point where they're like, OK, the only way that we can kind of alleviate this problem is we have to kill demand. And the only tool that we really have to do that is to raise interest rates. So we're going to raise interest rates up. Jerome Powell said he's going to bring the pain. So they're trying to crush demand. So they can get, you know, balance the supply and demand out. And hopefully that makes the, you know, the dollar fall, which in the long run, it probably will. Right. But every other currency in the world is going to collapse way before the dollar will. And that is a certainty. <laughs> right. Because so essentially what you're saying, because when you're saying that the dollar is the world reserve currency, we can look at it from a trade a trade aspect, right? So from, from some of the numbers, we see that dollar trade, global trade is between possibly 60 and 80%. Um, I looked at something earlier that showed that um, global invoices uh, in dollars was around 80%. So other countries need access to dollars uh, they, they want the access to the dollars in order to sell their goods. They want access to the American consumer. So when but when interest rates rise, if they have to their local currency, it takes more of their local currency to pay back debts or to get access to those dollars. Could you kind of talk about how this is this is what you see as a, a very large problem? And, and what does this feedback loop look like for other countries? What can happen uh, if the dollar strength continues to go up, if if interest rates uh, create this type of system. Right. Well, I mean, obviously, it, it leads to really, really, really bad economic situations. This whole thing was I mean, you could go back to the Marshall Plan and all that stuff. But it's not a history lesson. This is this is all predicated upon the fact that um, most countries, most people don't trust other currencies. So their countries, their their corporations, they go out and they get loans in dollars. And, and it's mainly because, you know, you can get it anywhere. There's a lot, there's a, it's a lot easier to access liquidity in a dollar. So let's just take China, for example, they get a bunch of loans in US dollars, but they have no way to pay back that loan in dollars. So what do they do? They create goods, they sell it directly to the US consumer to get those dollars so they can service their US debt. If something along the line in that chain breaks down, like we saw in 2020, and they can't get their dollars, it everything ceases. It just, it just, locks down right and if if debt payments can't be made then you can't you know you lose your credit worthiness or whatever it is people don't trust you anymore you stop getting an inflow of that capital and man it just it, it's like 
one debt after another. The dominoes just fall. The liquidity dries up. Everything just goes zip. I think I answered your question right. I might not have. <laughs> right. And then also in that example, with that insolvency, if you're a business and they've taken those loans from a bank, that's kind of where that that relationship with that situation where they print the principal, they don't print the interest. And then the bank has this loan, like let's say this business went insolvent and that's a loss, but they also have that interest. So so does the bank in that situation have to pay off that loan with their reserves? Is that a total loss or how does that uh, Yeah, uh, in general, it does. I mean, obviously they could they could take other assets uh, on their balance sheet and get short-term temporary loans. If it's if it's kind of like a, uh, a contagion in a certain place, it's not it's not really that big of a deal. Or they could just take it out of their cash reserves and write off the, the debt as a loss. That could happen. But yeah, that's actually a good question because if you start to see uh, multiple loans fail around in different places, uh, banks are going to start eating that. And if it happens too much too fast, then you just start getting bank failures. You start getting bank runs, bank failures, and liquidity ultimately just dries up um, because there's a there's physical dollars and there's digital dollars. And um, if people don't understand the two, one is cash, right? So that's a Federal Reserve note. It says it on there. It's a legal liability of the Fed. Um, and then you have digital dollars, which are created at commercial banks. So it's essentially just liabilities on top of liabilities on top of liabilities. Each time the bank prints more money, it's another liability. And it just continues on down forward. Now, if people fail to pay back the, the loans, then the banks are losing their assets, which, is, which are the loans. That's how banks make money. If people don't pay back those loans, the banks start failing because they have to cover that. It's a, it's a loss on the bank's balance sheet. So... I mean, just imagine if I um, if you loaned me all of your net worth and I don't pay you back a penny, that you're bankrupt. That's it. You got to file bankruptcy. Game's over. Can't go any further. Right. And then in the future, if somebody else came to me for a loan, I am more of the belief to to really look to see if I would lend to somebody else again. Right. So there's there's less of a chance that the banks will lend to other people in the future at a time where access to money is tighter, which is where you would need access to money. Correct. So, yes, 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 yes. But there is a there's a caveat to that. Banks. This is going to sound counterintuitive for a lot of people's understanding, but banks are far less likely to give out loans when interest rates are low and they're far more likely to give out loans when interest rates are high. The problem <laughs> It's a problem right now since the velocity of money is too low. The problem is where we are in economic activity and population growth, we can't support higher interest rates. It's simply not there. The valuations of everything is too high. Most millennials can't buy houses. And if you jack up interest rates, even though the banks are way more willing to give out loans at higher interest rates because they can make more money, uh, people can't afford it. They just simply cannot afford it. Right. And that that kind of gives credence to what I, I heard the uh, president of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, where he not only said this kind of in an interview with the Cato Institute about two weeks ago, but most recently, as he was speaking at the uh, Federal Open Market Committee, is that they want to see prices to come down, make things more afford affordable, especially things that are interest rate sensitive. Of course, like homes, houses, uh, auto loans, things like that. They want to allow people to have access to that, even though banks, of course, make more money off the interest rates in order to make things affordable. 
uh, interest rates and the cost of things because that's that cost of capital. So when when you hear somebody say the hurdle rate, what they're really talking about is like how expensive is it to you to get those dollars or whatever you need. Um, I wanted to ask you because on your channel, you your focus is you you basically say it's all about the dollar, right? It's all about the dollar. We've we've had a run here um, since 2020, where initially in 2020 we didn't we didn't have the consumer price inflation CPI initially, right? Actually, prices went down if you look at it. But over the past course of these two years, prices have gone up on the CPI. So things that matter in normal everyday citizens' lives. That's what they see. Regular, uh, lower class, middle class Americans are hurt the most by price rises. Why do you believe that people are going to be hurt the most by deflation? Like why, why should people be focusing more on the dollar? Because as Americans, we normally just think in one currency, right? Um, I've heard Brent, Brent, Brent Johnson speak about how in other nations, they kind of keep track of other currencies. How should people be viewing the dollar? How should they kind of think about it and approach uh, dollar strength going forward? Well, there's a lot there to unpack. Um, deflation in the long run, if you have it for an extended period of time, it's not a bad thing, but it, it just it really depends on a lot of different factors. Um, obviously, initially, it's going to hurt everyone because if the, the price of everything is going down, this means 401ks are gone, retirement plans, savings plans, all this stuff just gets wiped out. Not, I mean, not all the way, obviously. It's not going to go to zero, but people are going to lose a lot of money. Eventually, you'll get a stabilization point, but that's that's down the line. At first, it's just people losing a, a very large percentage of their, their money and wealth. Um, and since we have su- supply chain problems, the prices are not going to respond to that as fast. So they're not just going to fall down to the level of deflation. Eventually, again, down the line, we will get to that. The you know interest rates, they'll, they'll become uninverted and the, the market will get back to where it needs to be. But uh, in the initial pulse, people lose a lot of their money, a lot of their wealth. And uh, if you can't get access to dollars, you can't get access to funding. I mean, this is what leads to shanty towns from the Great Depression. You know, people living in cardboard homes. It's, it's just you, you simply just don't have any dollars. You can't get it. That's a problem. Uh, and I, I often hear a lot of Bitcoiners talk about that. Bitcoin deflation. Yeah, but the, all that money is going to eventually end up in the wealthy's hands. And it's since it's deflating itself, it's harder for newer people to come in and operate in an economic system where the money is constantly getting less and less and less and less and less. So it's a, it's a problem. That's why they invented the whole fractional reserve banking. So, you know, an 18 year old graduating from high school can come in, walk into a bank, get a loan and work at a a factory somewhere. And yes, and participate in the system. What you said right there, when you kind of brought up um, the great depression or when we've had multiple depressions, I saw a clip of this gentleman. I believe his name was Lawrence Leopold. And I believe he might have been talking about his grand, his grandfather. But he said that uh, his grandfather during the Great Depression had a, a home that was valued at like $50,000. During the Great Depression, it dropped in value. The home, that home and homes around him dropped in value to around $9,000. And, you know, you would think like what a great opportunity to pick up houses. But he said nobody could get dollars. So there was no access to get the funding in order to pick up those prices. 
But you know who would have been able to do that? Very wealthy people. So you could be so kind of what you're hinting at is, you know, deflation in, in this sense, like let's say we're talking about kind of like a, a slowdown, kind of like a debt crisis. There are people who will be ben, uh, benefit from that. But those are those who are already benefit the most the, the wealthiest people. So it would it would even more suppress and decimate uh, those who can't can't handle it the most. Am I correct in thinking that? Yeah, no, if you have the cash before, it's all about liquidity. Like this is the game. Like that's that's the the entire, if, if there's a ton of liquidity in the system, everyone can get access to dollars. Then stock markets go up, Bitcoin goes up, gold and silver, uh, prices of everything goes up, right? But if the liquidity gets drained out, then the only people that benefit from that are the people that have tons of liquidity sitting on the sideline, like Warren Buffett, right? If he's going to be in billions of dollars worth of cash. He's going to come in and buy everything up for pennies on the dollar. And every other regular Joe Schmo in the system, they get screwed because they like, again, like I was saying, their, their, their net worth goes down and they're left in a situation where it's like, okay, I've got, I've got $10,000 in gold saved up because, you know, the inflation has told me that I needed to do that. I can't pay rent. My children are starving. Uh, I, I need a water filter for my home because the, the municipal water system is just crap. Now they're not taking care of it. I've got to sell all my gold, but I can't even get $2,000 for it. Nobody's, nobody has any money. And, and that's what happens in the initial pulse of deflation. Uh, hopefully, like, like what happened in the Great Depression, is that you come around the other side and population starts expanding. Uh, you start getting growth. And then, you know, obviously World War II helped because there's countries around the world that now they need they need American goods so we can sell all of that and get dollars in return for it. So it just builds a system up. But we're coming to a situation where uh, the baby boomers was a generation that was quite large. Gen X was smaller. Millennials are smaller. We're going to have um, about 500,000, 400 to 500,000 less workers uh, in the next 15 to 20 years just from from what's uh, going on with the population growth rates, not the overall population. Um so it's, it's, it's kind of analogous to this. It's, it's like the baby boomers, uh, there's a thousand of them. They all have homes and then they all die off and the millennials can only fill 80 of those homes. Did I say a thousand or a hundred homes? I think I said a thousand. You, you said a thousand, but you switched. Okay, so that, the millennials okay. can only fill 800 of those homes. Uh, so what does that do? It's supply and demand. The prices of all that stuff comes down. But the problem is we don't have a replacement generation on the other side to get the growth like we did after the Great Depression. That that simply just doesn't exist. So what needs to happen is the prices of everything needs to collapse. People are going to lose a lot of wealth. Uh, the availability of dollars is going to go down because the millennial generation can only support a certain amount of dollars in circulation. And once all of that happens and a lot of pain is brought to everyone that's still left in the system, the hope is, is that as the prices of, of goods and services start to slip, that it makes it cheaper and easier for the millennials to have uh, um, babies. And then we can get economic growth from, from that on the other side. I don't think it's going to happen, honestly, but that's that's the hope. That's that's what we, we hoping is going to happen. Right. So not only not only in the states, but with that you know, the deflation, uh, the deflation pulse will be felt not only in the United States, but glo globally uh, as well. Yes, but uh, as a caveat, so there's going to be a deflationary pressure on other countries as far as the dollar is concerned. Mm -hmm. 
what's actually going to happen in all these countries is they're going to have inflation in their local currencies. And uh, the price of gold and silver is going to go up in those places. Uh, they have a lot of dollar denominated debts and they don't they're running out of ways to get dollars. So I'm assuming the first thing they're going to do is, is sell U.S. Treasury. So that's going to make interest rates go up even higher because what they're trying to do is get a hold of dollars um, so they can have dollars to store their wealth in, but also service their U.S. denominated debts. So places around the world, they're going to have a weird situation where the dollar is getting stronger. It's deflating. It's harder to get access to, but they're experiencing severe inflation in their local economies. And not only that, they don't have a replacement generation. So there's not really an easy fix for this. I mean, almost anywhere around the world you can look at Germany, they're done. They're, they have no population to, to to replace their current generations. China is expected to have 600 million people down from over a billion within the next 40 years, maybe 50 years. Um, so I don't really see how they're going to come out of this on the other side. The, the United States is in where I know I, I'm doom and gloom, but the United States is actually in a good position because we do have a millennial generation. Uh, the, the numbers are still not good, but we are, you know, above replacement. So we might not be able to replace the entire baby boomer generation one for one, but we do still have uh, a replacement generation in the millennials. So we're going to be better off. And, you know, I know a lot of people think that China is going to be the next superpower or Russia or all this. That is not going to happen. The great turning, the fourth turning, whatever it is, that video that uh, uh, what's his name? He came out with that video. Um, hedge fund guy, Ray Dalio. Right. He came out about the, the turning, the events and all that stuff. I don't think that's going to happen yet. We're not there. Um, I think I just completely talked over your question. Did I answer that? Oh, it's fine. No, it's fine. I think that's I think that's interesting. And because uh, we're, we're going to have further conversations when it gets to uh, demographics. I just I really want to just provide people with some of your thoughts, because all the discussion that has been dominating the airwaves is about inflation. So it's it's good to just kind of see the other side of the coin, um, get a slight under, you know, a slight understanding of a different perspective. Um, because this whole channel is all about giving people an opportunity to kind of make up their own minds and look into some other things that they, you know, not, uh, news isn't spread evenly. So I just want to be able to share some thoughts. Josh, um, I appreciate you coming on here today. Did you want to leave our audience with anything before we got out of here? Uh, I'm assuming that we're going to talk about inflation on, in some other aspect. Uh, I, it's it's kind of hard to talk about deflation without bringing inflation in and trying to separate the two. The biggest takeaway I want people to understand is uh, just because prices are going up does not mean you have inflation. And please do your research on that and figure it out, because if you can't decouple your thinking from that, it's going to be really hard to understand what we're talking about. So just understand that inflation, deflation, that's a monetary phenomenon. It, it's not associated with prices. Uh, and look into the debt and look into how much money we have. And you'll see it's actually a much worse situation than, than most people lead you on to believe. Yeah. And I'm going to leave y'all with that cliffhanger so that you guys can um, find Josh on Twitter. You can yell at him and explain to him that he doesn't know what he's talking about as far as inflation. And I'll make him get back on here and explain why inflation doesn't exist. And you all can comment rude things about them below, but we, uh, we appreciate you and we'll catch you in the next video. Take care. Peace out, man.